26th head football coach of this great institution. Ladies and gentlemen, our new head football coach, Mel Tucker. Our team, we will be physical. Wilkins again gives to Benjamin. Hit and dropped in the backfield. <laughs> Mustafa Johnson shooting through for Colorado. Sometimes you just know. And I know that the young men in that room, they're hungry. An interception thrown by Martinez. It's picked off by guess who? I've never been in a game as a player or a coach that we weren't expected to win. Blitz from Nebraska. Montez takes a shot. Drops it in to Chanel. Touchdown! Welcome into episode eight of the Shoulder to Shoulder podcast, where we are going to go over that dreadful <laughs> performance against Arizona. Before we get into that, obviously, we're going to start with the Pac-12 recap and a quick uh, little announcement. I think I've mentioned it before, but I just wanted to reemphasize. Uh, we're just heading for Tuesday releases in the morning. So if you want to listen to this on your way to work Tuesday morning, you're good to go. But uh, as far as the Pac-12 goes, we'll start with Stanford going up and somehow upsetting Washington 23-13. to Pac-12 does it again. Yeah, I, I got to say this was probably the number one. Definitely didn't see this one coming with the way that Stanford had looked recently. But um, they, they looked pretty good in this one, to be completely honest. I mean, Washington, definitely their offense didn't look great um i know jacob eason uh just did not have his best game clearly and uh washington struggled because of it yeah yeah like you said stanford actually looked good it wasn't just that washington played poorly it was i I think stanford just actually looked good i don't know if that was because david shaw kind of figured out his team or or what the deal was but yeah something something kind of clicked with stanford and then they've now won two in a row so a game that I thought CU for CU is going to be pretty easily winnable coming up doesn't look so much like that anymore. Yeah, it looks uh, it looks less likely as we keep going on here with Stanford picking up wins. But honestly, with the Pac-12 the way it's going right now, you just don't know with anybody really. Yeah, um, I think the the thing with this game is uh, I'm pretty sure even though obviously Oregon and Utah still only have one loss, I think. This kind of just ends the conversation of the Pac-12 having any shot at the playoff just because who's going to put in? I mean, I would imagine that come season's end, there's going to be probably four either zero or one loss teams. or Sorry, excuse me, about five or six. And if Oregon or Utah is one of those, I don't think they're getting in over anybody considering what their strength of schedule is going to look like. Yeah, I mean, now that Washington is unranked, um, the North just doesn't look as formidable anymore. So yeah, Oregon probably won't have the strength of schedule that it needs. Um, and it didn't help them that Auburn lost to Florida this week either. Um, and then Utah. Yeah. I mean, the South just doesn't look like anything that some of those other teams that are going to end up at the top will have to go through, unfortunately. So it, it would be tough. I mean, they, they would need some help to get in, but yeah, on their own power at this point, I would say they don't, they it's not going to happen. They would need a couple other teams to lose big games down the line here for them to have a shot at it. 
Yeah. Um, all right, so it looks like that number 15 ranking is probably just not good for the Pac-12. Cal lost with the 15th ranking last week. Oregon lost with it this week. So, uh, again, just you Pac-12. Mean, wa- wait, Washington lost with it? Not Oregon. Yeah, Washington lost yeah, with it. Washington me. lost with it? Yeah, okay. so I think if anybody has that number 15 ranking in the Pac-12, they're just screwed. Yeah, clearly. Uh, <laughs> it's not going to work for them, but uh, on to the next game. This one wasn't really a surprise to me. I, I, I had mentioned it when Oregon State was playing Stanford. I thought, I thought Oregon State was due for a win that wasn't really fluky uh, this year, and so it seemed like when they kind of took the lead against UCLA early, I wasn't really that surprised. I think that honestly speaks more to how bad UCLA is than to how good, not good, how, how much Oregon State has improved this year. Yeah, I mean, I think on one hand for Oregon State, you can say um, Isaiah Hodgins, their wide receiver, that dude is very, very good. We talked about it a little bit last week, but he's just kind of establishing himself every week, it seems like, as one of the top receivers in the Pac-12. Um, so you definitely have that. I think that's a, a legitimate thing. The offense looks pretty pretty solid, but you know their defense is still questionable, which has been the question all year. And UCLA is is just more of the same. I mean, defense is a problem. Offense doesn't look all that strong. I know the score ended up being uh, 48-31, which is, you know, I mean, it's not close. It's 17 points, but I, I would say Oregon State seemed like they had that game in control pretty much the whole time. Yeah, it didn't. I, I don't think after. I mean, even after the first quarter, I don't think it was ever really in doubt. They're up twenty-one nothing at the end of the first. Yeah, and, they pretty much rolled. Yeah, I think Oregon State's offense is good enough against a team like that where they can hold off somebody making a twenty-one point comeback. They're not going to pull a coog on it. Right. Right. Yeah. Probably not. Yeah, and and as far as as far as UCLA goes, I mean, are they going one and eleven this year? I don't know, man. Maybe it's just I feel like with the conference right now, you just don't know what's going to happen. Like I, I don't have a feel for who any of these teams are outside of like I think Utah kind of rebounded pretty well, and I think Oregon is clearly solid, but everyone else is kind of all over the place. So I don't know what's going to happen. All it's going to take is them to play someone at home who doesn't show up for the game really, and and you never know they could surprise someone else. Yeah, I mean they could. I just, I just don't think that. I don't know. I don't think Chip Kelly is really all that interested. And I've seen more and more people asking if he's gonna get fired at the end of this year. I just don't. There's no way that they can afford that buyout. They paid a ton of money to get him there. The only way I see him not being the coach next year is if, like we had mentioned before, he kind of just walks away. He's not really feeling it. Right. Yeah. I. It's. It's definitely not a good scene. And I would say that there's definitely the potential that they don't win any games for the rest of the year. I mean, I thought there was potential that they don't win any games, period. So um, it'll be interesting to see how they wrap up the season. But yeah, they're, they're not looking good by any means. Not even a little bit, but uh, on to the, the third and final game. This is going to be a little bit of a preview of the Buffs upcoming opponent. Oregon survived Cal in shocker and ugly game when cal's playing it's always ugly <laughs> yeah shocker right yeah i mean it was cal actually scored first to to open it up they they started off it was a weird it was a weird game to start um i mean oregon just had nothing going on offense in the entire first half and i i thought that was kind of while i was like watching it seemed kind of like a doomsday scenario because oregon's coaching staff i think is universally considered to be pretty garbage 
that they can <laughs> they can recruit that's for sure but yeah. they uh, they don't seem like they have the X's and O's down, but they came at a halftime, um, ended up scoring the 17 points they need to win. Obviously, you didn't, I didn't expect Cal to score even a touchdown this game, so they somehow pulled that off. But, you know, I mean, Oregon Oregon won, and it wasn't – I mean, it, it, was, it was an ugly game, but I think Oregon really had control for the most part. Yeah, I mean, to be honest, I wasn't that surprised with how the game turned out. I mean – Cal probably went in knowing that the only way they had a shot at it was to make Oregon just play a really ugly, rough game. Um, And it kind of almost worked. I mean, Cal was winning 7-0 at halftime, which is just ridiculous for an Oregon team that you think about some of the numbers they put up earlier this year. But, um, yeah, I mean, I I think ultimately the just talent that's on Oregon won out and the fact that Cal, they got that one touchdown, but, I mean – I just don't, I mean, Oregon's defense is pretty solid in its own right. So it's going to be hard for that offense to move on any team, let alone a a good defense like Oregon. So uh, I I just think the talent won out in the end, putting up those 17 points and it was ugly. It was a, it was a rough game. It was a hard fight game for them, but you know, they pulled it out. They survived. They did what they had to do. All right. And the game we didn't really want to talk about, but we're going to have to the buffs. (laughs) Lost to Arizona, thirty-five to thirty, and it was. I, I tweeted out after the game. I mean, there was no, not really a better way to describe it other than that was just that was just frustrating to watch as as a, not only as a CU fan, just as a football fan in general. It was a really frustrating game to watch. Yeah, I mean, it, it was weird for me. It felt like in the beginning, we could have easily been up on them pretty good in the first half. I, I don't know about you, but. I, I felt like we were just leaving points on the field with penalties and some other things that we hadn't really done in the games leading up to this too much. I mean, I think that was the most frustrating thing for me was all the, the penalties were just killing us early on in that game. Um, but, you know, I, I felt like Montez was playing well early. Um, seemed like the offense was doing fine. Honestly, I felt like the defense even was hanging in there early on uh, up until... Um, let's see. I'm trying to think. I think it was the touchdown after that they scored after the trick play, that single play touchdown, just like what happened against us or what happened to us against Nebraska. Um, I think up until that point, they were looking pretty solid. Um, it looked, I think that was the play that Onu went out on cause he was at the end there. He was running after the guy, but he was like holding his side. So I'm pretty sure he was hurt on that play, um, which could have contributed to the blown, uh, blown coverage. I'm not totally sure. I haven't like looked at the tape on that, but up until that point, they had played pretty well. I mean, they gave up one touchdown that for once the team had to actually work their way all the way down the field to score. Um, and other than that, it was punt, 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 interception. So, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty solid half for our defense right there. And it was a bummer that in the second half, it totally fell apart. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, like the pen, the penalties is what really, you know, pissed me off. I mean, the second drive of the of the day, Colorado got it at the twenty five, and their own twenty five. You know, they drove it down to the Arizona forty eight, and then they got an unsportsmanlike conduct penalty, fifteen yards. Montez went pass incomplete, and then they had a holding call on William Sherman, ten yards. So at third and twenty eight, we basically got to the 
Arizona 48. And then by the time all the penalties were said and done, we were back at the 27. So it was a net two yards between the where we got the ball and where they were there. And then, you know, at that point, third and 28, that's a no-hoper. So we just ran the ball and then punted. Um, that was the first one. And then the next one, was it the next drive where he, yeah, it was the next drive where Daniel Arias had that dropped ball. Oh, that was brutal. That I was mean, such a were, beautiful throw. And that was just, that sucked. Those were two drives in a row where CU just killed themselves. I mean, the, the penalties are obvious, but I, I couldn't tell from where I was sitting how Obvious it wasn't until I saw the replay, but there wasn't anybody in his face. Like he just beat the man down the field and the ball was dropped in perfectly. It hit him in the hands and he just, he dropped it. It, yeah. it reminded me exactly of when Shea Fields dropped that wide open pass against Arizona state two years ago. <laughs> Pretty much like, the, the same uh, effect too. It was, it was reminiscent of that. And I, I saw that and I was like, Oh, please don't let this be like that game. And it turned out to be like, just like that game. I mean, yeah. you could have, I mean, that that's that's probably the difference in the game right there. But I mean, there are a ton of different there are a ton of different moments in the game where see if they just you know make one less mistake on being something stupid, whether it be penalties or or blown coverages. But at this point, I think the blown coverages are just a given. It's not really a mistake anymore. It's just going to happen with this defense. Yeah, I mean, like I said, it, it looked like they were holding it together in the first half defensively, but the second half, I mean, Tate just absolutely torched them and it, it was ugly i mean granted we're talking about a defense that lost Jalen sami after already losing mustafa johnson and aaron maddox and they lost mikhail onu he didn't play at all in the second half um and chris miller is out for the season with a torn acl so you're talking about like five spots on this defense that um are being replaced essentially and credit to mel tucker you know he said there's no excuses Next man up is something that is real. It's not a cliche. They were able to put 11 guys out there, like no excuses. So, I mean, I I appreciated that he said that, but at the same time, you kind of have to look at who they have out there. Like this is a defense that already had struggled early in the season. And now you're going to tell me that five of their starters aren't going to be in the game for the second half. I mean, you know, it, it, it was ugly. It looked ugly. Arizona looked like they could pretty much score at will. Um, and I think that added to the pressure on the offense. And, you know, I mean, they hung in there all game, but it was just frustrating. It, it felt like, for me, I think one of the most frustrating things about the second half was how it felt like Arizona was going to score a touchdown every time they had the ball. And yet, I think there were two different times we settled for field goals in the red zone when we were close. I mean, where I was thinking, like, come on, why don't we just go for that? Go for it, get a touchdown. And even if you don't, like, is it going to make that much of a difference to get those three points when you know Arizona is still going to take the lead on you? You know, I don't know. That was frustrating for me. I wish they had been a little bit more aggressive. Yeah, I mean, it was, there was, there's one drive in the second half. It was 28 27. Arizona was up and Colorado drives down the field all the way down to the 23 and then just stalls. Uh, And of course, they couldn't pull it off. They got they got down to the third and one and then had to just – oh, wait, no, I'm looking at the wrong – here. They got down to the five, excuse me. I, they weren't even at the 18-yard line. They got down to the five and ran it three straight times for a negative overall return. Yeah. And then kicked a field goal. And that was like – it was just stuff like that where like I don't know if J- Jay Johnson maybe just didn't trust Montez in the red zone, but – 
I guess in the second half, I don't really know if I would have trusted Montez either. He looked like he he had he was bad Montez in the second half. He was good Montez in the first and bad in the second. And uh, for me, Montez, Mon, I'm I'm kind of just sick of Montez, honestly. Okay, so I think this is something that needs to be talked about. Um, I know there's like a it seems like the CU fan base is kind of split right now, where it's like fifty percent or more. I, I don't know the exact numbers, but you know, a bunch of people are like mad at Montez. They're tired of him. And a bunch of people are, you know, kind of apologizing for him. I would say I lean more to the apologizing side. I, I know it's frustrating, but at the same time, I mean, if you look at his numbers, he had like 299 yards and a touchdown. You include Arius catching a ball that I would say he probably catches nine times out of 10 that's a like a 50-yard touchdown, and Montez's numbers look pretty good. And early in the game, I mean, we're talking about a guy, he was weaving in and out of pressure in the pocket, making throws. That touchdown that he did have was like this ridiculous play where he was in the pocket, got pressure, split two defenders, ran up in the pocket, stepped up, and threw a strike to uh, Brady Russell for a touchdown. I mean, it's still there. Yes, it's inconsistent. Yes, he missed what two or three straight throws to Dimitri Dimitri yeah, to Dimitri Stanley on a drive to uh, fail to convert a first down, which definitely hurt. And that's kind of who Montez is, and it's frustrating. But at the same time, I kind of don't know what people expect. Like he's a college quarterback. It's frustrating that you want him to develop into this like perfect guy who never makes the mistakes, but. If you look around even just the Pac-12, I don't know that there's a quarterback that you can look at that doesn't have bad halves of games or games, whole games. I mean, you know, people were talking about um, Jacob Eason earlier this year about how, oh, he could be an NFL quarterback. And he's pretty much just had two duds back-to-back weeks. So I just think it's all over the place. Like, it's frustrating, and I'm sure it's frustrating for everybody. But I still think Montez... Is a, is a really solid quarterback, and he played plenty well enough to win that game, to be completely honest. I It felt weird to me that they wouldn't put the ball in his hands in those moments. Um, I don't know. Maybe you're right. Maybe they didn't trust him, but I just feel like he, he was the guy who was making things happen for much of that game, and it's a bummer that he couldn't finish it off, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think... I guess what bothers me is he came out in the first half and he was actually, you know, stepping up in the pocket. He wasn't like scrambling around. And then I don't know what happened because he didn't get sacked all game for a second game in a row. And usually when that happens with Montez, I mean, he's he's consistent. He actually runs through his reads. But then he comes out in the second half and he starts getting happy feet again. He starts leaking out of the pocket and making it easier for guys to chase him down than than it should be just because he's making their rush angle a lot more straight lined instead of having to go around the outside to him. And, and I think what really, really bothered me the most in the second half, I mean, well, first and foremost, I mean, we only scored 10 points in the second half and that's not going to cut it when we've got this defense that we've got. But in this, in, in that last drive that we had when it was, you know, there's six fifty one left, we pretty much had to just drive it down and almost run out the clock. If we wanted to have any chance of winning, because you know, Arizona was going to score on the defense it was third and four and you like the defense had lined up. They ran the play and instead of going to Dimitri Stanley, who was given 10 yards of, 
of leeway. Like the guy, the guy that was guarding him at was ten yards off the ball. We had to get four. I mean, Montez could have just floated it to him, and he would have gotten the first down, no problem. But instead, he doesn't have the situational awareness. He doesn't even like look at the fact that that guy is giving him ten yards off the ball, and he tries to go for a deep ball down the field on third and fourth. That I mean, to me, that just that's mind boggling for a fifth year senior. I get, I get, I get what you're saying. He's like, a, he's a college quarterback, and he's not going to be perfect, but. When he's been playing for the majority of the, I mean, he's started the last two years and he played a ton in 2016. Or, sorry, he's started the last three years. He's played a ton in 2016. I mean, I just feel like simple things like that, he's got to be, or he should be more accustomed to and more aware of. And it's just, he's just not. And he's, he just doesn't seem to really take anything from the coaching that anybody of the last three guys that have coaching him have been giving him. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that last play. That was that was pretty brutal watching him take a shot deep. I mean, I know it's been successful in the past, like with Tony Brown and stuff, but um, it was risky to say the least um, to try to throw it deep on third and four because, like, third down and four when you've got two downs, that's that's very reasonable. That seems like your chances are good, but fourth down and four after not getting any yards on third down feels worse. And, you know, and of course they blitzed him on the next play. Um, So, yeah. And I think part of it was, I know on the broadcast, they were saying a lot about how Arizona was having some success getting pressure in the middle of the offensive line. Um, It it looked like Hambright and Will Sherman on the outside, um, both the tackles were having solid games, but it looked like through the middle um, with the guards. And I know we were, our, one of our starting, I think our starting right guard was out. Yeah, Colby Purcell. Um, so that probably was was part of the problem. But Arizona was able to get pretty good pressure up the middle. And even though Montez didn't get sacked, there were definitely a few plays where he had to move and, and avoid um, pass rushers. And I think that I think that's the one thing that I would definitely say with Montez. When he gets pressure, it gets in his head after a while. And because he definitely had some plays where. He moved like he had one in particular that I can think of. I don't remember when it happened, but he basically ran out the back of the pocket and ran himself into pressure, um, which was just not a good look at all. And and that's definitely been his biggest problem, I think, is when he gets happy feet like that, for whatever reason, um, he struggles. I mean, 100% he struggles. And I think that's hard. I also don't know if... like. It's happened now a few times where our offense kind of struggles a little bit more in the second half. I mean, even against ASU, we struggled a little bit. I mean, it it's kind of like, I don't know if it's the play calling or what, but it does seem like we've been more conservative late in games. And I just wish that they would just kind of open it up. I mean... I don't know if they're worried about Montez making mistakes or not, but for me, he seems like he's doing better when they let him just kind of sling it, you know? And um, it just seemed like, I don't know if maybe he lost confidence and then they adjusted or if they adjusted and then he got out of rhythm or he lost confidence because they took the ball out of his hands a couple of times or what. But um, there was definitely, it felt like there was a disconnect there, at least to me. Um, I don't know. I I definitely think Montez is not, immune to criticism by any means like I think after when he came in as a redshirt freshman I believe when he was relieving Cepho in 2016 people were like man this guy is going to be legit by the time he's a senior and we just haven't seen as much development as we 
thought we would, I think is like the biggest thing for everyone. I think that's why everyone's so frustrated. Um, but yeah, I, I just think in this game that we lost, there are a lot of reasons why we lost and he, I mean, he obviously takes some of the blame. The starting quarterback is always going to take some of the blame, but I don't think he was the biggest reason why the Buffs didn't pull out this win by any means. Yeah, I, I, I could agree with that. I don't think he's the biggest reason. I think it's pretty obvious the defense is the biggest reason. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty clear. lost this yeah. game. Um, I, I guess one other thing I want to touch on is I, I think what's kind of, I don't know what word I want to use here, maybe disappointing is, and I'm not saying necessarily it has to happen, but I think there have been points like in the Air Force game or late into the second half in this game where he's just not getting it done and he's got happy feet and he can't sit in the pocket where I don't know why they don't at least consider giving either Stenstrom or Lytle. It seems like Lytle's the second guy to just give him like, give him a possession. I don't know. You don't have to give him like the entire second half or anything, but give him a possession. See if he can do something that Montez can't, because like I said, 10 second points or 10 second half points is not going to cut it pretty much against any team going forward. Um, The defense just can't hold anybody. And I don't know, maybe, I mean, that either the staff doesn't trust them or they don't think that they're either those two guys are the future at quarterback and they're either going to look at, at Brendan Lewis, which I hope they do next year as a freshman and just throw him into the fire or they're looking to get a grad transfer QB or something. I just, I just can't imagine why they wouldn't want to get these guys some sort of experience because they're going to be the guy and there are just times when Montez can't get it done. Yeah. I, you know, I think I think that the thing about that is we just don't know what they have. And yeah, maybe the coaches have seen them and decided that that's definitely not the answer. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they think that putting in Lytle or Stenstrom would be so much of a liability that it would hurt them even more. Like they're that afraid of them making a mistake, like throwing a pick or something like that. I don't know. But it's true. I mean, I think it's easy to to want to see what else we have when Montez is struggling for sure. Um, I just think it's, it's tough to say, like, give them a possession in a game that was decided by one possession, you know? And I think that, I think they felt like it was going to come down to that no matter what. Um, I think it would, <laughs> I just, yeah, I think they felt like it was going to come down to that no matter what. And with as conservative as it seems like they start to play sometimes here late in games, I would got to think they're going to be even more so with a backup quarterback. So I don't know. It, it's hard. I think it's easy now when we're frustrated to be like, God, they should have put in someone else or given someone else a chance. But I mean, the buffs had every opportunity to win that game still. So I think they're just saying we have to go with the guy who we think gives us the best chance, even if he's maybe not having his best half. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I think, yeah, I think like you said, maybe they just really have they're they don't have any confidence at all in those two. Um, and it is, it is, it was a one possession game. So maybe you just don't even want to risk it on that one possession. But, um, I think, I think we both kind of alluded to it earlier. The, the biggest reason this team lost was the defense. And I mean, (laughs) you wrote it down here. Defense is Charmin ultra shot, ultra soft. They are just (laughs) bad. Yeah, they are. They're terrible. Like it, I don't, I mean, I, I see why. I mean, the talent is one. The talent deficit between them and the other team's offense is, is one reason. But another thing is the injuries. And then the, I think the thing that's, that if I'm a Pac-12 offensive coordinator against the Buffs for any week going forward, I'm going to look 
at film and I'm going to say, all right, here's our game plan. We're going to leak a running back on every play and he's going to take it 14 yards every single play until we score. Yeah. Because Nate Lamon and Akil Jones and John Van Deest have zero idea how to cover a running back. Or if they're in zone, they don't know how to cover across the middle. So if they just stick to the middle of the field or if they throw it to a running back on man coverage, I mean, I, I don't see how this defense can stop it. Yeah, I mean, look, broken plays are definitely one problem, um, but I would say the consistent issue where like it's just happening with specific guys, the linebackers in coverage, I don't know what they need to do other than just like stop giving them coverage responsibilities whenever possible. And I don't know how possible that is. Like at some point, they're going to have to drop into coverage. But I mean, like we know Nate Landman is at his best running downhill, trying to tackle someone with the ball. And I know quite a few times Arizona got big chunk plays because Nate Landman is just watching Khalil Tate, just waiting for him to run um, so that he can run down the field and hit him. And it just really never happened. I mean, Tate ran the ball like four times all game or something. So he just knew like, oh, I don't have to run because I can just throw it to the guy who's going across the middle every single time. And he pretty much did. Honestly, he pretty much did. With the exception of the one time he threw it way deep because there was a broken play in the back. Um, So yeah, it's ugly. Um, And they've got to figure out a way to deal with it because it's not going to get any easier going forward. Yeah. And I mean, we kind of talked about it over text last week and this week. I mean, there's just like, what, what can you do? I mean, you can't, uh, you, you kind of mentioned maybe what if they just threw Davion Taylor in there on passing downs and put him at like run like a, something like a four, two, five. Um, obviously our base defense is a three, four, but like if you're running a nickel, it's essentially a four, two, five. Right. And I mean, I don't know what else you can do because they're just not going to get it done and they're not going to magically flip a switch and all of a sudden be good at coverage. So, well, I guess, and maybe maybe that calls into question. Maybe it's a scheme thing, and I'm not saying it's necessarily Tucker's scheme is bad. I'm just saying it's a bad fit for what we have on defense right now because I right, think right. Tucker and Summers are used to having just freak athletes on at every position of the field. Like Tucker came from Georgia, where their middle linebacker is a better athlete than probably every single one of our safeties and corners besides like Dell Abrams. I mean, they're just like, they're just that athletic and they can cover a guy out of the backfield and they can cover people across the middle. And that's not what Nate Lamb and Nikhil Jones and John Van D star. Yeah. I mean, I know we talked about it a little bit and I was saying like, what if, I mean, that's a, I think the biggest problem right now for changing anything up is they just don't have the depth. And we had talked about that at the beginning of the season. That was the worry is depth on the defensive side of the ball. But um, I, I feel like they just need to figure something else out. And if they could get everyone healthy and maybe they could try something like, okay, you have Maddox in the backfield with Onu and then you've got, um, or not in the backfield coverage with Onu safeties. And then you've got, maybe you play rake straw in the linebacker spot when you're on passing downs, you know, or maybe you, yeah, Davion Taylor and rake straw are in there because, I mean, Rakestra is like a pretty big guy and he's shown that when he needs to, he can get downfield and hit a ball carrier. So, um, he's not afraid of it. I don't know. I just feel like they've got to try something else. Like they've got to try putting guys in other places. I mean, Sam Neuer, for God's sake, the guy's huge. (laughs) He's shown he can hit. He knocked a guy out last year. I mean, maybe put him in a linebacker spot. I don't know. It, 
it's just not working the way it is right now. And I don't think those guys that we have as linebackers right now have really shown um, enough improvement to feel like it's going to get better. Cause it seems like it's the same stuff every single week to be completely honest. Yeah. And what I think it seems like it's the same stuff because it is, because I mean, just like I said, if I, if it's so obvious to us, what's going on, guys that have been coaching in this league for, or in college football for any number of years are going to see that and they're immediately going to key on it. So I think we are just going to see the same things every single week. And I mean, realistically, I think the only hope CU has of, of winning games and, in the larger picture getting to a bowl game is they're just gonna have to win shootouts you know just gonna have to hope that the defense can get a couple turnovers here and there or just get lucky with like a sack and not necessarily lucky but get a sack or or just one or two big plays a half that stop a couple drives and then the offense just has to score whenever they have a chance really and they can't drive down the field and just kick field goals like they did this week Right. I mean, it's it's going to be about turnovers, hopefully, getting turnovers and just playing offense like nobody's business. <laughs> just like slinging the ball all over the place and trying to establish the run. And yeah, I mean, it, it's going to be shootouts for sure if they're going to have any chance to win. And I mean, to be completely honest, there are some definite shootout games coming up. So um, yeah, we'll see if they can pull it out. But it's... Uh, it's it's going to be a tough one for the rest of the year for the defense, especially if they don't get guys back quickly. You know, at this point, we don't know the severity of some of the injuries that they got this weekend. Um, hopefully, we can get people back soon. Otherwise, it's going to be a nightmare. Yeah, I mean the good the good news is on at least on offense. I mean, Tony Brown has shown that it's not it wasn't just like a one time performance from him last week. I mean, he's or not last week two weeks ago. I mean, he's a legitimate like he he could be a number one receiver on, on a lot of teams. I think. And he just, whether you want to say it's unlucky for him, I mean, it is. He just got thrown onto a team where you've got LaVisca Chenault and Katie Nixon, who are both really solid receivers. And I don't think Katie's like, you know, a number one receiver really anywhere. He's a good number two guy. But, I mean, he just happens to be on a team that's just stacked with wide receiver talent. So he didn't really get his time until LaVisca got hurt this year. And then that's kind of been what's, you know, opened the opened the floodgates, so to say, for him. And I it, He's he's a stud. I mean, he's going to play his way on into either a draft pick or at least on he's going to be on an NFL camp next year. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Tony Brown, I think, has proven at this point. Like, he's a legit wide receiver in one of the Power Five conferences. He's he's no joke, man. He's been really, really good, and it's been fun to watch. So, I mean, even when the Buffs lost this last game, it was still like, oh my god, Tony Brown is amazing. <laughs> so, um, it, it's been fun to watch him. It's been cool to see him do really well. Um, but yeah, it, it has been, I guess, unfortunate for him that he's had such, so much talent in front of him, but it's been nice that he's been getting this opportunity and hopefully they can get, um, Visca back and, and KD can be healthy and they can have that full arsenal, um, to use. So I'll, I'll be excited for that. I hope that happens soon. Yeah. I mean, if, if they can get it for, I think if they want to have any shot at winning this game against Oregon, they need to have all three of those guys healthy and ready to go. And obviously Tony's healthy right now, but they need to get KD and Visca back. And and speaking of KD, did you see what happened? Like I didn't see anything that no. happened to him. Okay. No, I, don't I, I mentioned it on the broadcast. I have no idea what happened. And the broadcast didn't touch on it until it was like the last play of that the buffs had that fourth down and they pan over and it's like, Oh, KD's on the sideline with his helmet off standing next to LaVisca Chanel. And I was like, what the heck? 
where where are these guys? <laughs> you know, like I had no idea. I mean, Vontae Chenault was on the field at one point at the end of the game, and you're just like, who? You know, what the heck happened? Like guys are just dropping like flies. So. Yeah, no, I, I didn't see what happened. They didn't say anything about it on the broadcast, at least not while I was there. Um, and as far as I know, up to this point, he his injury hasn't been disclosed. So I'm not sure what's going on. Yeah, I mean, hopefully it was. I mean, I saw him like he was like warm, like not warming. I guess he was warming up. He was just catching balls for um, Tyler Lytle and Blake Stenstrom, one of the two, at, during like a timeout break. So like it wasn't something that was so bad that he couldn't even like you know, catch a ball, but obviously something was, you know, painful enough that he couldn't actually go into the game. So like you said, hopefully we can get him back. Um, and one other thing I wanted to touch on, you mentioned Sam Neuer. Um, I don't know if you could see it on the broadcast, but I was watching it very closely when I realized he was in the game because I was one terrified that they were going to throw straight at him, which I'm surprised they really didn't, but he looked kind of timid. Uh, and I guess that's kind of to be expected for a guy that's switching from quarterback to safety, what, five, six weeks ago? I mean, first game but, action, right? Yeah, I mean, he looked pretty timid, uh, and he got burned kind of on, I think it was a, a screenplay where he was supposed to come up, and he was supposed to take the block and push it to the inside, and he didn't. Or no, push to the outside, excuse me, because he, um, he had a corner on the outside, and he did not play it well. And so the next play, Isaiah Lewis came in. So he didn't get too much of a run at safety before they kind of pulled him. Um, and I, I don't know if that's going to come with – hopefully not. He's Hopefully he doesn't have more game experience, if I'm being frank. But <laughs> if, if he does have to get it, hopefully the, the timidness kind of you know falls out of there and he's he's a little bit better because he, he, he just didn't look like he really wanted to hit anybody or get hit. Yeah, I mean, I think he could do with an offseason <laughs> probably before he's really ready to go. Um I think that was probably the plan for the beginning. I don't think they were wanting to have to employ him this early, but I don't know. It's just, that's like a perfect example of the state of the CU defense right now. We have a backup quarterback playing safety. Yeah, that, that says everything you need to know about 2019 injuries so far. Yeah. Enough about enough about the, the Arizona game. It was hard enough as it was just thinking about everything that went wrong. But uh, as far as Oregon goes... Um, what do you? I mean, what are your thoughts on Oregon? What are you kind of worried about there? What are your biggest concerns for the bus against them? Uh, biggest concern. I mean, we've pretty much beat the dead horse already on this, but obviously the defense. Um, I mean, I guess for me generally, it's like the health of the defense because it's not really a concern when if if we have to run out the guys who are on the field at the end of the game last week, we're gonna get absolutely shelled. I mean, it's not even a concern at this point; it's a fact. Um, so, uh, I guess it's the health, but if we can bring in some guys, if Mustafa Johnson can come back next week, or if Onu, hopefully hope to God, he's not out too long. Cause honestly, for me, I feel like that's when the game really changed was when Onu, um, was, went out of the game. Cause he seemed like he was kind of holding it together back there. Um, and when he was the play that he was hurt on clearly was the, the broken coverage touchdown. Um, so if they can get him back, Jalen Sami back, you know, just a few of those guys, even just, just to make it look more like an actual division one power five conference defense. Um, that would be the biggest thing for me. Cause if they don't, it's, it's going to be real ugly on defense. Yeah. Um, and I don't know. I think, 
I think the thing with Oregon is they don't really seem to. Oregon just doesn't seem to put its foot on anybody's throat. I mean, obviously, aside from the team they scored 77 on, which I can't even remember who it was. Nevada. Um, it wasn't Nevada, actually. Yeah, it was Nevada. Oh, wow. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's that's somewhat impressive. But, I mean, in Pac-12 play and against teams that have actually, you know, had a heartbeat, they just – I don't know what it is. They just don't seem to – either they don't have the offense to put it away like that or they just don't want to put it away. They want to, like, play conservative or something. And I don't know if that's, like, a coaching thing or the, just the player. I don't know. I, I really don't know what it is, but they just can't seem to put somebody away. And so while I don't think that means – see who's going to win by any means. Um, I, I think that it'll at least allow CU to kind of keep it close and at least give themselves a small chance if, if Oregon's not going to try and put CU away. Because in my opinion, I think that if they, if they really wanted to and if the Oregon coaches called it as they should, I think this game could get ugly quick. Yeah, I mean, look... I guess, so it has to be said, Oregon is the best team in the Pac-12, I would say, up to this point in the season. I agree. Um, they've been the most consistent. The Buffs are clearly not that. So, <laughs> like, there's a gap there, without a doubt. Um, the other thing, I guess it's kind of a concern, too, is their defensive line and really just, like, the pressure that they've been able to get on opposing teams' quarterbacks has been pretty solid. So... I would I worry about some of the problems that we talked about with Montez in the last game. I mean, if he's getting pressure a lot, it, the offense could have problems. Because normally, I would say, if they can protect him, I think that the offense could still have some success here. Uh, just because I think our offense can score on just about any team. Um, but, with good Montez. Yes, with good Montez. But if they get a lot of pressure and he he struggles, um, then it's it's going to get ugly fast. Uh, so that's a, that's a concern. The one thing, or I guess it's a couple of things that I could say that goes in the bus favor. Um, a lot of situational stuff, the, the ducks, they just played a tough, hard game against Cal last week. Um, I don't, you know, I know players just probably get beat up, probably emotionally worn out from a tough game like that. They're, uh, definitely coming into this one thinking the buffs are going to roll over. So maybe there's a little like nobody believes in us kind of feeling in there. Uh, it's a Friday game. Um, you know, Utah was upset on a Friday night. Washington was upset on a Friday night, I believe. Um, like it happens. You know, this is like it's a, yeah. this is like classic Pac-12 weirdness day. Um, I was gonna say it's some Pac-12 after dark, so right, you know right. weird shit. Weird shit goes down in Pac-12 after dark, right? So you never know. Maybe Oregon comes out slow. You know, maybe we can make something happen that way. But I mean, there's like a lot that you're asking out of situational uh, things. So it's it's gonna be a tough one for them. Um, hopefully, they can get some guys back and and make it interesting. But uh, it's ugh. <laughs> it could be ugly. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm always looking forward to, to watching CU play because I love watching the buffs, but I guess this is the game, I think, from here on out, th this is the game where I'm going to be the least excited to watch, if that makes sense. I yeah, just, in terms of I just, just, like, chances. Yeah, I mean, I just I just really don't see any chance in this one. I mean, even, even if, like you said, Oregon somehow comes out slow and CU magically takes a, like a 21 nothing lead like they come out real slow see you get up 20 nothing i still don't feel comfortable with that because oh, they're just gonna throw the ball down the field against our ravaged secondary and what are we gonna do to stop them 
yeah, I, I think Herbert's going to stand out there and he's going to be shocked <laughs> at how open he has some guys. So um, that's going to be a problem. I mean, look, we're saying all this. Oregon is far from unbeatable. They've had some some slow games without a doubt. But yeah, I, I mean, the Buffs, unless they capitalize on that and they just like keep it rolling throughout the game. I mean, who knows? Maybe they get a little confidence. Maybe Montez is feeling himself. But the only way that they win this game is if they put up some obscene number of points in my mind. Yeah. I mean, just looking at the ESPN matchup predictor, which granted, I think most of the stuff that ESPN puts out because they don't seem to put that much time into it. I think it's kind of bullshit, but right now it's got a uh, 97.3% favor in, in favor of the ducks winning this game. Yeah. So it's, I mean, they really have in mean, rightly. So they don't have any confidence in, in the buffs i mean uh, i just don't i don't really see it um i guess if what what are your what are your predictions for the game i mean what do you think the final score is going to be oh let's see um i said final score um was going to be oh well i said 42 28 ducks um only because I just see this as the perfect opportunity for the Ducks to take us a little lightly. So I think they'll give up some points. Um, but I mean, it could be one of those things where they score like 35 straight points and then they just like completely take their foot off the gas and give up some, some late touchdowns or something like that. So um, yeah, I said 42, 28, but I'm not super confident in that because the Buffs could honestly or the the Oregon could honestly probably pick a score that they want to put up on offense on us. So we'll see. Yeah. And, and kind of like I mentioned, I think this is the game. This is really the only game on the schedule where I think CU doesn't really have a shot. I think every other team in the Pac-12 is truly is beatable. Um, and, and not to say Oregon isn't, but I just think that, you know, the talent differential and the fact that Oregon's strength, which is their future pro quarterback, Going up against CU's weakness, which is their barely power five secondary and defense and pass coverage, it's uh, I I just don't see it being. I, I think it's going to be like my, my prediction. I think I put this on all buffs too, but I could be mixing my scores here. I think I had it thirty thirty eight twenty eight, but I don't think it's going to look as close as that. I think it's going to be Oregon, you know, kind of all the way, never in doubt. But I think that it'll be like a 38, 28, just because like I had mentioned before, they can't really seem to put anybody away. Um, and I, I guess in a game like this, I think if it was 38, 28, I don't think that would be the worst thing in the world. I think I could live with that. Yeah, I could live with that. I mean, that's a, that's a relatively close game. I'd be happy with that. Yeah. Um, no, and no, and you know, one thing I really wanted to, to touch on before we get into the, to the bets of the week this I, I thought going into the Arizona game, I thought that they needed it almost to get bowl eligible, and I still think there's a ch- I still think there's a chance. I mean, Washington State's beatable, USC's beatable, UCLA, Stanford, and then I think Washington, Utah, while better than all those teams, um, they still showed some weaknesses as well. So I think they're gonna have to somehow pull three, two, either two out of the. Washington State, USC, UCLA, or Stanford, and then upset a Washington or Utah, or they're just going to have to straight up win three toss-up games against those four teams. And, you know, it's going to be shootouts all the way through. So uh, as far as bowl, bowl, you know, bowl eligibility, what are your thoughts on it? Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, I, I feel pretty much the same way as you. I, I think the 
I, I, I think that it's, it's gotten tighter. Um, it would have been really nice if they could have gotten that win against Arizona. They'd be sitting at four wins and, and I feel very confident about them getting two more the rest of the way. Um, but you know, especially with how the defense and the health of the team is, it's really kind of in question. I, I think they can still do it. Absolutely. I think Washington state has definitely not looked good and that'll probably be a shootout game, which is probably the only shot we have to win anyway. Um, and, and UCLA seems like a good shot to get a win. And yeah, the other four, the Stanford's looking better. Unfortunately, USC, I have no idea really what kind of team they are. At least we get them at home. Um, and then yeah, Washington and Utah. So it's still definitely possible for them to get six wins. It's just going to be a lot harder. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I think the, the biggest issue I have with not making a bowl, like, yes, it's fun and all for, for the fans to go, but six wins is absolutely huge for, for a team, from a team development standpoint, because you get an entire extra, what is it like month of practices or is it 15 practices? It just depends. I think on when the game is right. Um, uh, it could be, I, I know, it, I want to say they might limit the number oh, overall. Really? I think it might be 15, but I could be completely wrong on that. Oh, so don't okay. quote me on it, yeah. but I mean, that that gives you time to not only obviously prepare for the bowl game, but especially in now now's today's day and age where like pretty much the only games that truly matter are the are the playoffs. And and I, obviously I, I know that being competitive as college coaches and college football players, they still want to win the bowl game. But you get a chance to develop those guys that are freshmen and that didn't really play that redshirted that year. And it's just it's just huge for a team development standpoint. Yeah, I mean, if they could get those six wins and get to a bowl, even just being able to point to like, hey, we made a bowl game this year. It's only the second one we've made in however long. Um, Since 2007. Like it could help in a lot of ways. It could help with recruiting. It could help with development. It could help with the overall just like good feeling on the team going forward, you know. Um, and, and I think if they did get all six of those wins, there's a good chance that there's like some serious signs of improvement that would have to show up down uh, towards the end of the season. So if they got it, I think it would be a really good marker for, okay, the team is looking up. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just, it's just, it's just really, I think it'd be really important for them to get to that sixth win and it'll just be another disappointing season almost if they get to five. I mean, yeah. I don't think Tucker's immune to criticism. Um, and he right now, my biggest criticism of him is, I mean, you're an SEC defensive coordinator. You've been under Saban how many times, and your defense looks like this. I mean, it's just obviously talent makes makes a makes a difference there, but it's just bad. Yeah, and I mean, who knows? Maybe after another year or two, you've got people who have been with his system for a couple of years. I mean, that without a doubt, I would think would make it easier. Maybe he gets players that fit better into his scheme, makes it easier. Um, so I think he still has time to show that, but yeah, it's, it's, it's a problem. I mean, he was a defensive minded coach and he's coming in to, to try and establish that mentality and it hasn't shown up yet. So hopefully they can figure that out. Yeah. And I think part of that too, is from just from at least a performance standpoint, I think that the money for assistant coaches was definitely spent with a huge lean towards the offensive side of the ball. And with the defensive side coaches, you can just see they kind of, I don't know if skimps, skimped is the word I want to use, but they kind of did skimp. I mean, they went with Traveris Tillman, who's this is his first time coaching at the at 
as a actual position coach, I think at any level, uh, they went with Brian Michalowski, which I'm actually, I mean, I'm impressed with this recruiting, but he's still very green and Brumboff at the defensive line, his, I mean, his recruiting, I think speaks for itself, but I, I just think that's, that's part of it. And, uh, obviously this will be something we get into, you know, more in the off season, but I think that changes need to be made on the defensive side of the ball yeah. both for recruiting and for x's and o's purposes yeah i i mean i tend to agree i i'm i'm not 100 percent sure on that but I, I feel like there's a definite difference between what's going on with the offense right now and what's going on with the defense yeah so uh again you know i think we both have oregon winning this one pretty handily but I would, as always, I'd love to be wrong when I predict something like this. Absolutely. Uh, so, gotta hope for the best. Expecting, not that. Um, let's let's get into our, our bets of the week, Chase. I'll, I'll kind of let you take it away. Okay. Yeah. So my first bet is Texas plus eleven um, against Oklahoma. It's a neutral site game, but still, I feel like Oklahoma just hasn't been um, challenged yet the way Texas has. Texas played a tight one against LSU. Um, and I, and I kind of think Oklahoma is, it's a similar, um, similar style to what's going to happen. I, I wouldn't be surprised if this is a shootout again, but, um, yeah, I just think, I think Texas has shown that they're a pretty talented team and it's going to be tough for a team, any team really to blow them out by that much. So I, I take Texas plus the 11 points. Um, my second game, I have Wisconsin minus 10 against Michigan state. I just think Michigan State, their offense is not good. And Wisconsin has shown that it pretty much runs through every team in the Big Ten that's not Ohio State. Um, that matchup is going to be exciting, by the way. But yeah. I, I think I just think Wisconsin is going to handle Michigan State. I don't think Michigan State's really going to be able to score. And I just think Jonathan Taylor is going to be able to do whatever he wants. Um, I know the Michigan State defense is good, but... I, I mean, I I feel like if if Wisconsin is gonna be minus ten, all you're asking them to do is score like thirteen points because I just don't think Michigan State's gonna <laughs> be able to score much. So, I'll take Wisconsin minus ten, um, and then my third and final bet is Florida plus thirteen away versus LSU. Um, I actually now that I'm looking at it, it looks like it even says thirteen and a half. So I'll take that. Um, but Basically, my thought process with this was last week, I kind of faded Florida. I bet against them, bet Auburn. Um, and that was pretty much because Florida just hadn't shown me, like, they needed to prove to me that they were actually a good team. And to their credit, they did. I mean, that defense showed it's it's legit. It made Bo Nix look bad. It made Bo Nix look like Bo Picks. So, um, <laughs> yeah, so they, they were not good. Um, and I just think giving them 13 and a half points is just too much. I don't think LSU, I mean, I don't know that their defense has shown that it's going to be that great. I know Florida, their defense seems to be elite. I mean, at least their defensive line, their pass rush is, is deadly. So, um, yeah, I, I like Florida to at least cover the 13 and a half points there. Um, it, it's going to be a tough one, but I think they should be able to do it. Yeah. I think, I, I mean, I, lo- I like all three of those bets. I was gonna, I was already marking those down to take those. Uh, the one thing that is kind of worries me about Florida, I know Kyle Trask got hurt. Uh, I think he had an MCL sprain in their last game, but he came. I mean, he came back and played through it. But 
I don't know how. I mean, I, I want to know if he's actually going to be able to play before I actually lock in that bet. Right, which right. I don't know if they're ever going to release that. I'm sure they're going to play it up like he's playing. Um, but still, I mean, like you said, I think Florida's defense has shown it's decent enough. But the problem is LSU's offense is savage. Is no doubt, really good. Yeah. It's legit. Savage. Um, Joe Burrow yeah. is legit. But at the same time, like. I mean, Joe Burrow has shown this year, like everyone's saying LSU's really good, but I, I still feel like they haven't played a defense that's that great either. You know, I mean, the best team they played was Texas and Texas is a very good team, but their defense is not why they're good. You know, um, I mean, they've been giving up points a lot this year. So yes, they dominated Utah State last week, but I just don't think Utah State is in the same realm um so i i just think it's going to be tighter than a two touchdown game really i mean i think lsu is probably the better team they're probably going to win the game and you're right the the quarterback injury possibility is a little worrisome but i just think he came in he came back into the game and they're going to do absolutely everything they can to get him to feel as comfortable as possible but i can't see him if he was good enough to come back in in the second or after after he went out in the last game, like he's going to be up for LSU. So, um, yeah, it, it's true. I mean, if <laughs> if people would rather wait until they know for sure whether or not he's in, I I would completely understand. That's probably not a bad idea, but the line would possibly shift too. So, I think who so knows? Too. Yeah, and then um, the other one, the other one that I really liked of yours was Oklahoma or Texas plus 11. And the reason I like this, especially because I think they're both really good teams. But if you look at the last from now to 2014, these are the point differentials in that game. Last year was three, five in 2017, five in 2016, seven in 2015 and five in 2014. The last time that a team actually won by more than uh, at least double digits was 2013 when, Texas actually somehow upset them 36 to 20. But I mean, they, they just always play that game close. And so I think giving plus 11 when Texas has shown that it's, you know, like you said, they can play in those tight, tough games. I think, uh, I think plus 11 is way too many points. So I'm definitely going to take Texas on that. Uh, my specific three, I went with Arizona state minus two and a half against Wazoo. Uh, one big reason for that is Washington state. Their defensive coordinator actually just resigned. Uh, I mean, he said it, it was released as he resigned. I don't know if he was fired and they gave him the liberty of saying he resigned, but he definitely is no longer there. And they're now doing co-interim DCs. <laughs> so they're letting two guys take over that spot. And I mean, that defense was already garbage. So, and I mean, aside from against uh, when ASU played us, they seem to have had a pretty solid defense. So, uh, I think ASU wins, and I think it's going to be by more than a field goal. It is at home as well. It's in Tempe, so I think Arizona State's going to take care of the business there. The The next one I took is BYU minus six. It's at South Florida, uh, but I've been fading South Florida pretty much all year ever <laughs> since that first game because Charlie Strong, their head coach, I mean, he just seems to have no idea what he's doing. And... I mean, BYU, I mean, they beat USC. They played it close against most of the Pac-12 teams they played, aside from, was it Washington that kind of blew them out? Um, yeah, Washington. Yeah. So, I mean, I think I think BYU is going to win by more than a touchdown. So that one was a, a pretty easy one for me. Anytime I see US or USF either favored or only supposed to lose by a touchdown or less, I'm going to take whoever's playing USF at that point. 
And then my other one is Notre Dame minus 11 versus USC. It's a lot of points, but I think Notre Dame's defense has shown it's it's pretty stifling. And I think that they're going to be able to get enough done on the offensive side of the ball where they can win by at least two touchdowns. So um, for me, I just, uh, you know, USC does tend to play up when they're playing against teams that have a similar talent level to them. But I think Notre Dame is just, I mean, you saw the beat down they put down on Bowling Green. It was, it was <laughs> yeah. unreal. So, I mean, I think uh, they'll be able to cover that minus 11 versus USC. I don't, I just don't think USC still, I, I, they're just going to get out coached, plain and simple. Yeah. I mean, I like all those. I, Notre Dame scares me a little bit because the offense just seems kind of questionable. But um, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think their defense is, is elite. So, I think whoever USC has out there is, is going to have a hard time against them, even with their wide receivers being as talented as they are. I don't think you can play the throw it up in the air and hope they win it in the air kind of style of offense against Notre Dame. So, yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely don't think that's going to work against against Notre Dame. But uh, on to the tweet of the week. And the tweet of the week I have is from Arrogant Urban Meyer. And that's at Arrogant Urban. It's it's obviously a troll account. But he tweeted out, no matter what happens in the second half of the OSU Sparty game, it doesn't change the fact that I won the first ever college football playoff championship with a third string QB. <laughs> so that was back in 2015 when it was, was you said it was Cardale Jones. Cardale Jones. Obviously, Cardale Jones. <laughs> obviously a, a shot at um, their their new coach of Ohio State, Ryan Day, he's just trying to establish himself as still still dominant, even though that guy's taking over. Yeah, I, I always love those. Like, there's like the arrogant urban account. There's the faux Pelini. If you ever right, seen that right, one. yeah, that's good too. Love those, love those troll accounts. Uh, but um, that'll do it for the tweet of the week. And we actually got another mailbag question, surprisingly. <laughs> and this one is from Warbuff. He's an all buffs guy. And his question is, he said, here's a question from your All Buffs IDOT war buff. And for those of you that don't frequent All Buffs, IDOT is just All Buffs lingo for idiot. He said, with the season half over, what are your thoughts on the following? Number one, what's the biggest positive surprise about this team so far? Number two, what's the biggest negative surprise about this team so far? Number three, if the team could only fix one problem for the last half of 2019, it would be... And number four, what what one coach would you bet your net worth will be replaced for 2020? And the last question was, what one coach has impressed the most or been a pleasant surprise? And then he said, thank you for both for doing these. I've enjoyed listening to them very much and find them interesting. Keep up the great work. Uh, so let's start with Chase. What has been your biggest positive surprise about the team so far? Uh, okay, biggest pro- positive surprise. Uh, I went with specific player. Um, I don't know how you decided to answer this, but I decided to go with uh, Mikel Onu because he honestly, I mean, in, in a, on a team where the defense has been a struggle, he's been a definite bright spot. I mean, he's got four interceptions, two forced fumbles at this point. Uh, he surprised me that in coverage, he's actually been better. He still made mistakes as everyone has, but he seems like he's kind of taken that leadership role out there. Seriously. Um, he's been better in coverage I think that was the biggest surprise coming in. We knew he could he could hit. We knew he could get the get uh, the ball carrier, but coverage was questionable. And the fact that he's already got four picks, um, you know, he's he's looking pretty good back there. So I am going to say Mikel Unu is my 
biggest positive surprise. There are a couple others out there for sure that you could go with, but I wanted to give some kind of bright spot for the defense at least. <laughs> yeah, I think I think what I what I chose, which I'm assuming is probably going to be your second choice, was I went with the running backs, uh, both Jaron Mangum and Alex Fontenot, with Alex Fontenot seemingly taking over the lead tailback spot right now. I mean, they've they've done enough to the point where people actually have to respect the run game. I mean, Fontenot's averaging, I mean, they're both averaging good numbers. Uh, I don't have the numbers right up in front of me, but, you know, they're pulling, they're pulling in good numbers and they're actually making people have to, you know, load up the box a little bit so that they can't just sit back in coverage with eight guys in coverage and, and stop us like they have been for the past couple of years. And that's also a credit, obviously, to the O-line. But uh, I think coming into this year when, when they just, no one really knew what to expect of the running backs. Um, they've stepped up and definitely given us something to root for. I mean, looking at it now, they're both averaging above four yards a carry. So, I mean, that's that's all you can really ask from your, from your running backs, when, especially when it's really they're both of their first years getting meaningful playing time, obviously, with Mangum being a freshman. But with Fontenot, this is really the first time he's actually gotten meaningful playing time, and he's, he's really showed up. So uh, for his second question, Chase, your biggest negative surprise about the team this year? Um, okay. Biggest negative surprise. Um, again, I went with specific player as much as I hate to do that because I love the buffs, but I got to say my biggest negative surprise has been Nate Landman up to this point. Um, I love Nate Landman. He's was so good for us last year and he's still good at the things that he was good at last year. He's still an elite tackler. He still can hit the ball carrier. But much like what I said, Mikhail Onu has done much better than expected. He honestly has been worse than expected in coverage. I I know it was a concern going into the year, but I'm honestly just kind of shocked. Like He hasn't seemed like he's improved with it, um, which is disappointing. I mean... You know, I'm not like a defensive analyst or anything, so maybe he has shown other signs that I'm just not aware of, but it just seems like he's getting beat a lot in coverage. He has a hard time, like you said, tracking running backs, coming out of the backfield, um, getting tracking guys over the middle when he's playing zone. Um, so I, I think that's been the biggest disappointment. Again, I think Nate Landman can still be a really good linebacker. I just think we he needs to be used... Um, to his talents, and I just don't think coverage is is his thing, and and it's been pretty disappointing for me. Yeah, uh, I actually was gonna say Nate Lemon as well, so I don't want to harp on him too much. No. I'm gonna switch it up and say I think my biggest disappointment this year has just got to be the the recruiting on the defensive side of the ball. Um, it's not necessarily game time stuff, but I mean. Traverse Tillman and Brumbaugh specifically really have just, they seem like they're non-existent. I mean, it's become a joke now on all buffs that Brumbaugh will only recruit from East Mississippi Community <laughs> yeah, College yeah. because it's, I swear it seems like every week or not every week, every month, a new offer goes out to an East Mississippi CC guy. I mean, I think that's where uh, Jeremiah Doss came from. Um, so I mean, obviously he's got a connection there, but I mean, like uh, for the most part, you're not going to find diamond in the roughs every time you offer a community college guy. Obviously, there are some guys like Mustafa Johnson, for instance. He was a community college guy, and clearly they struck gold with that one. But it's just that's not an efficient way to recruit the defensive line. And that's, I mean, you're only getting these guys for three years max. Most of them are two years. 
So you're losing out on a full four years of development, a full four years of, of actually them playing for you. So I, I'm going to go with the defensive recruiting. It's just, it's been bad and I don't, I don't see it improving. It's, I mean, the offers don't seem to be great. They don't seem to be getting any traction with any of the guys that are big time that they've offered. So that's definitely the biggest negative surprise for me. Um, I would agree with yeah. that one. Yeah, the the recruiting has been a struggle. I mean, the JUCO stuff, like it's good, obviously, to get JUCO players. Like you said, we have guys on this team who are big, who were JUCO players, but you got to have both. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just I don't know what what there can be done about it. It, it. Either he's just not willing to like work his ass off in recruiting, or he just maybe isn't good at it. But um hopefully that can improve and if not i think he'll be he'll be one to go but uh under the next question he had it's it was if the team could fix only one problem for the last half of 2019 it would be okay i said i said blown assignments if they could fix big the big huge like just bomb plays that we seem to give up every game like three four of them at a time I feel like that would make such a huge difference. And and I mean, you could say like, I, I was trying to narrow it down to like one specific thing, but if they could just get rid of the blown assignments and just make a team play offense against them straight up and not have guys 20 open by 20 yards running down the field, um, that would just make a huge difference. I mean, I felt like it was happening in the first half of that Arizona game. They finally made a team score a touchdown that was like an actual drive going all the way down the field um, until, like I said earlier, Onu got hurt. So I think for me, if I could fix one problem, it would be that everyone understands the scheme so well that they don't just miss assignments and there's not just blown coverages all over the field. Yeah, that was I, I contemplated between that and the only other thing that I really want to fix is pass rush. I think, I think uh, just having a, even a semblance of a pass rush can kind of cover up some of those deficiencies, whether it's a blown assignment or, you know, middle linebackers and coverage, because if you can get pressure on the quarterback, he doesn't have time to just sit back there, run through all three reads or four reads. If he's got four receivers and then hit his backup option with the running back leaking out of the backfield or the guy just sitting in the middle of the field. Um, I just, I wish that there was some way that they could get a pass rush going without having to send a ton of guys on blitz. But, um, I think that's probably what I would fix. Cause that can kind of mask some of the other issues that the defense is having as well. So, uh, his, his fourth question, what one coach would you bet your net worth will be replaced for 2020? Why don't you go ahead and answer this one first? I'm, I'm a little curious. I think. The only reason I want to say this one is because of the experience or, or the lack thereof. Uh, I, I'm going to go ahead and say, personally, I think it would be, if I'm betting my net worth, <laughs> which is not much, but to me it's a lot because I'd be broke, is Traveris Tillman. Okay. Uh, he's got no experience either at this level or any lower level. He's been either a GA or an analyst uh, pretty much everywhere he's been so far. He's not getting it done on the recruiting front. The blown coverages, a lot of them seem to be coming from defensive backs. And, I mean, what what really is holding him back from being let go? Aside from, if it's money, then I can understand why he wouldn't get let go at the end of the season. But, I, I mean, I really think that if he's not going to pull his weight on the field and off the field, then what's the, what's the reason to keep him? 
Yeah, so <laughs> believe it or not, I actually said Tillman as well. Um, I, I just think for me, I mean, first of all, I feel like I should say I don't know that anyone will get replaced, to be completely honest. I mean, I'm, I would imagine someone probably will just just to, depending on how the season goes the rest of the way. Um but I think I think he's he's the most likely candidate. I mean, Mel Tucker's thing is defensive backs, and that's been like a huge problem for us. So you got to think that he's looking at that, wondering what the problem is. And so I wouldn't be surprised if that was the way that he went to to try and fix it. I mean, he's also clearly huge on recruiting, and it doesn't look like that's coming out of that uh, that position, that part of the staff. So I yeah, I think that's the most likely choice. Yeah. And yeah, like you said, I mean, I had mentioned it earlier. I, I, I don't think that I just don't think they have the money necessarily right, right. to get rid of somebody. I would like them to have the money, but I also don't know if it's a good look to get rid of a guy after one season, because then what other coach is going to want to come, you know? Right, right. Um, so it, it'll be interesting to see if they actually do replace somebody. I hope they do, because uh, something needs to be fixed, but I, I just don't know if it's feasible. So... Uh, Warbuffs. Last question: What one coach has impressed most, or been the most pleasant surprise? Um, I would say for me, the one that's impressed most. Uh, I really like Coach Cap on the offensive line. Um, I mean, I know that they've still had their moments in games where it hasn't been great, but he. It just seems like with the guys that they have now, I mean, they're way better than they were last year. You get reports of guys talking about how they're finally being coached for the first time it feels like and and it just seems like they're taking a lot of positive steps in the right direction there so I think he's he's probably my guy who's impressed the most um and and it's clearly like a huge part of this team and a very important part of the offense because like we talked about earlier you know you've got to give Montez that clean pocket so um, I think the offensive line play has definitely improved a lot since last year in particular and at points this year so um, I, that's my, that's my pick right there. Coach cap. Yeah. I, when I read this question, I kind of read it as who's been the most surprising, I guess. Okay. And he kind of put, he, he worded it like that in his question. He's, you know, I, who's been a pleasant surprise. Um, and for me, I think it's been Brian Mikulowski. He, uh, he, he really didn't have much experience. I mean, he was a defensive coordinator for like a German football team, like a legitimate, like Germany team that was playing American football. Um, so he had obviously done that, but he hadn't really coached anywhere at the, at the power five level or in the college rankings really. So, um, I mean, he's been mentioned a lot by recruits. It seems like he's actually working his ass off getting out there and kind of, you know, putting his name in with these guys. And aside from the air force game, I mean, for the most part, contain hasn't really been a huge issue. I mean, you know, Khalil Tate wasn't getting outside on any of these guys when Carson Wells, for example, was spying on him. Right. Uh, you know, Jaden Daniels didn't do too much against us in the run game. So, I mean, I guess they, they haven't been really standing out necessarily, but they also aren't standing out in a negative way as well. I mean, it works both ways. Like, they, I'm not keying on the outside linebackers because they're just blowing assignments left and right or they're just not performing. So uh, I'm definitely most surprised with him. He's, he's getting his name in with recruits and he's, he seems to be doing a decent job as far as the X's and O's go. So I'll, I'll tip my hat to him, but uh, that'll, that, that was, that was, that'll do it for the podcast mailbag. Uh, we only had the one this week, but as always, if you want to send something in shoulder to shoulder pod uh, at gmail.com, but uh, I think that'll do it. All right. Well, 
as always, subscribe, leave some five-star reviews, leave some comments. We love to see it. Um, and thank you for listening and Scobuffs. Scobuffs. <laughs>